You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The economy has created 517,000 jobs just last month. More than half a million jobs in just the month of January. The unemployment rate falls <laughs> to 3. Point, oh my goodness, to 3.4 percent. Uh, certainly, I'll take this jobs report for, for any day of the week. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from DC's top names. The United States government has detected and is tracking a high-altitude surveillance balloon that is over the continental United States right now. We hope that both sides will handle this matter in a cool-headed manner. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The jobs report blows the doors off, but will it mean more pain later? Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we consider the good and bad in today's data with views from former Labor Secretary, former DNC Chair Tom Perez, and economist Douglas Holtz-Eakin, president of the American Action Forum. So what's the deal with the balloon? And why won't the U.S. shoot it down? We'll have the latest from Bloomberg Pentagon reporter Tony Capaccio. And as the Secretary of State cancels his trip to China because of all this, we'll have insights from Craig Singleton at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Analysis from our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Republican strategist Rick Davis back today, along with Democratic strategist John LaBombard of Rock Solutions. So it was quite the shockwave at 8.30 this morning uh, when the jobs data hit. We'll pick up right there where Denise left off. 517,000, more than twice expectations. Nobody could believe it. It's really actually pretty funny uh, listening to this unfold live on TV and radio here at Bloomberg. The White House was quick to add remarks to the president's schedule. Here he is. The strongest job growth in history, the lowest unemployment rate in 54 years, manufacturing rebounding at a faster rate than in the last 40 years, inflation coming down, real races, real wages going up, but moderately going up, not going through the roof, the economy growing at a solid clip. Put simply, I would argue the Biden economic plan is working. You're feeling pretty good. And you know it was a good day for Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. He spoke with Bloomberg this morning after the data hit. Listen. You know, it was a great report. I mean, when you look at uh, areas of that I think are really important, business grew, healthcare grew, uh, education grew, uh, and we saw strong, steady growth in construction. <laughs> he always makes me feel at home. And that's where we begin uh, with Tom Perez, the former labor secretary with us, as we try to explore both sides of this. The good news of explosive job growth, you can't deny that, particularly if you've been out of work. But what comes after as the Fed tries to tackle inflation could be a very different story. Tom Perez, welcome back to Bloomberg. 
It's always great to be with you and your listeners. Appreciate it. You, you look, you've been around this stuff for a long time. How can estimates be this far off? This jobs report today, or or, or should I ask you, what does it indicate when estimates are this far off? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I I always chuckle when I see that. Well, ADP has this recommendation and this and that. The only recommendation that we should be looking at is the one that comes out the first Friday of the month, because mm-hmm. that's not speculation. That's what the very professional people at the Bureau of Labor Statistics are putting together. And I think what we see in this report is just more evidence that we have a really resilient job market. I mean, we, we have the lowest unemployment rate now since 1969. The, the two best years for job growth are the last two years. Uh, the, uh, we've, we've more than offset the loss during the pandemic in the private sector. Still have some work to do in the public sector. But what's remarkable to me is we're seeing wage growth decelerating without sacrificing lower unemployment and a strong labor market. So I'm sure you've had discussions on this show, and I think I've had them with you about, yeah. are we entering the world of stagflation, you know, where you have high, employment, high unemployment and high inflation? The answer to that is hell no. That's not happening. Uh, this is a historically low unemployment rate. And And I always dig deeper in these data points because you look at um, the annual unemployment rate uh, for people with a high school degree has dropped five points in the past two years. We're at near record lows for African-Americans, for Latinos. So this is very, very broad-based growth. There are two ways that people are looking at this. More jobs, great, right? Moderating wages, also good. But others, usually on Wall Street, say, look, as long as this job market keeps running hot and hotter than we think, the more the Fed needs to hike rates, the more likely a recession is later in the year. And then that does snap back around on Main Street. And and it seems like both can't be true. Well, I think what I hope the Fed will be looking at is uh, wage growth is decelerating and inflation is decelerating even faster. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not where they want it to be, but... These are really important markers to watch. And the other lesson I think that's really important to learn, and I talk about this a lot, when I was working with the Obama team and we were climbing out of the Great Recession, my critique of what happened there was our stimulus wasn't enough. And and what happened, the thing that kept me up the most at night, Joe, when I was labor secretary, was the plight of the long-term unemployed. Because the recession was so prolonged. Mm -hmm. You had 55-year-old folks with less than a college degree, and even some with a college degree, who've been laid off for two years. It's really hard to climb back in the workforce when you've got that big hole in your resume. And and the reason that happened is because the stimulus bill back in 2009, the Recovery Act, was as large as the politics of the moment would permit. So Mm -hmm. I don't begrudge anyone... Uh, in that moment, because I remember it well, but it wasn't enough to meet the moment. So are you answering and critics we, without without inviting them uh, who say the CARES Act, for instance, and then the American Rescue the, the legislation sparked the inflation that we're trying to combat now? No, I mean, the thing to understand is so much of the inflation that we're trying to combat is the function of global forces, you know, the, the pandemic, a war, supply chain disruptions. Wage growth is decelerating. And again, uh, we're doing that without sacrificing low 
unemployment and a strong labor market. We're going to see uh, more activity in the housing market because I think the housing market is, you know, is more challenging than it was uh, six months ago. And I think it's going to be more challenging a few months from now. Uh, and so there are already these pressures. And my fear is that if the Fed overcompensates, uh, people will needlessly suffer. And, and we have to understand that I'm not sure there's a historical uh, moment that we can look at that is that actually meets this moment. And what do I mean by that? We are in the beginning phases of unprecedented infrastructure investments, unprecedented mm-hmm. since Dwight D. Eisenhower was president, unprecedented investments in combating climate change, unprecedented investments in bringing jobs home through the chip tax. You don't sound like somebody These who's worried about a recession. I'm not. I'm worried about a job shortage, a labor shortage. I'm worried about um, a skills mismatch. And what we have to do is we have to invest in making sure that we are training people for these middle-class jobs of today and tomorrow. We've got incredible opportunities, and there's bipartisan consensus, Joe, that we need to make these investments in infrastructure because, you know, we've got roads and bridges so old if they were people, you know, they'd be on Medicare. <laughs> Great to have Tom Perez in the view from the former Labor Secretary, the former chair of the Democratic National Committee. As we add the voice of Douglas Holtz Eakin, this is not a complete conversation, I feel like, until we hear from both. The president of the American Action Forum, former Council of Economic Advisors, chief economist, had the ear of the president and was director of the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, Doug, it's great to have you back here. The markets have been convinced the Fed won the war on inflation. We've had this crazy January rally. Uh, Jay Powell, they thought, would be cutting rates by the end of the year. Does this report prove them wrong? Well, I certainly thought that the market got ahead of itself. Um, If you go back uh, to March of last year, Jay Powell rolled out this strategy in a speech and said, you know, we think we can get back to the 2% target by 2024. And that says this is a, a challenge that takes years, not months. Mm. And there was no reason to believe that they were ever going to reverse course in, in 2023. I, I think that was way premature. We've gotten a lot of help from the top line uh, on the top line from energy prices coming down. Um, you know, we've seen some spike in eggs and other food prices. If yeah. you strip out that and go to the core, and then just take out take out shelter, which has uh, got uh, a big lag in it, we've made essentially a half a point in progress since last August. It's not a dramatic deceleration in inflation. So the, the proof is in lower inflation. Getting to four was never going to be hard. Getting to two is a lot of work. So We've got a market celebrating market, slowing wage growth. You need to see wage declines before well, you, you see, see the end of this, inflation, right? You've got to see inflation go to two. That's, whatever your, your view of the, the chain of events is, uh, this is up to you, but we're, we're not there. We're not even close. So that's that's sort of point number one. Point number two is that um, you know the 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 durable inflation and the hot labor market are the flip side of the same coin. We got the inflation because we overstimulated. That's how we got this amazing job market. You're not going to get rid of one and not the other. So so looking at the labor market makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Now today's report, I think. You know, as I said before, it needs to be taken seriously, but not literally. There are a lot of reasons to believe these numbers have some weather effects in them. The seasonal adjustment's always tough in January. There was a strike. I mean, so put it all aside, and what do you have? You have a strong labor market again, 
some nice uh, work on the supply side where participation ticked up a little bit, but it's not dramatically different than what we've seen in recent months. So there's no dramatic evidence that the Fed has altered the course of the economy. Did this change your view on a possible recession, Doug? No. I think, you know, we're still looking at a high probability that at the end of 2023, we've got a downturn. I, I don't see anything about today's report that changes the Fed's need to go higher, yep. uh, the pace at which they do it is up to them, and that they are, by by setting the target on actual inflation being demonstrably lower for a sustained period, they're doing a backward-looking test, and that, that just sets you up for over-tightening. I, I think that's the big risk, to be honest. Over-tightening. So this kind of increases the chance of a recession, yeah. right? We're celebrating this today, but it's, it could mean more pain on the other end. That's, that's what I think. I mean, look, they have said repeatedly, again, I think all you have to do is listen to the chairman and take him at his word. Yeah. It is a bigger mistake to ease prematurely than to do too much. The, the odds of them doing too much are pretty high. When they talk like that, that's what yeah. you get. I asked uh, so, Tom Perez about the, just these, this ridiculous difference between the gap between the number and the estimates here. You answered that a little bit. You suggested how noisy things can be and were, in fact, in the month of January. But does it also indicate something about this economy when, when the forecasts have just been so consistently off? I think there are some pieces that are difficult. So you know, we know that China, for example, has an outsized role in the pace of global growth and has an outsized role on global oil prices. And thus, um, the Fed's need to, to react to those in the top line inflation numbers. Do we have any idea the state and trajectory of the Chinese economy? We do not. Mm. You know, can't you believe the numbers? We really don't know what they're up to with this new uh, COVID strategy. So, yeah, that's a really hard situation to be in. There's no question about it. We have a, a land war in Europe. That may, adds to the uncertainties. The Fed is using tools which have always been uncertain, long and variable lags in interest rates, plus portfolio tightening that they have never done before. So, <laughs> The amount of uncertainty that is present is enormous in life, and, and we all have to be a little bit modest about our ability to see how it's going to play out. Um, I, I just think, given the, the metrics they're looking at and the, the kinds of errors they're willing to make, the odds of them uh, ending up in a recession are higher than, than their odds of them not. I'm really glad you joined us. Douglas Holtzikin, American Action Forum, uh, former, of course, White House economist, former director, CBO, as we assembled our panel for the good and the bad on this. Rick Davis is back today, I'm glad to say, Republican strategist, Bloomberg politics contributor, joined by John LaBombard, senior VP at Rock Solutions, former communications director for Senator Kirsten Cinema. Great to have everybody here on a Friday uh, Rick, boy, you know, I guess you take that victory lap now while you can as this White House because the president could be apologizing for an economic downturn in a year. What do you think? Well, it just reminds me what a buzz killer, you know, Doug Holtzman is. I mean, he was our advisor, <laughs> top economic advisor for the McCain campaign. Oh, yeah. He hasn't changed a bit, right? He can find a storm cloud on the horizon. So you've had these briefings before. Oh, yeah. No, but he's usually right. So this is a guy to, to listen to, unfortunately. Um yeah, look, I mean, Biden has to take uh, uh, all this as good news. Uh, he's not going to look too far down the horizon himself. He doesn't he doesn't want to shake off any bad news uh, right away. So and it's a run up to the to the uh, State of the Union. So yeah, he's sure. going to he's going to use this as just a momentum builder to go in there and say, wow, I'm quite a magician. I've been able to find a way to not let us go into a recession uh -huh. and make progress on cutting down inflation. Uh, so. 
uh, yeah, this was this was exactly what he would have wanted, and frankly, even more so uh, going into you know next week's big State of the Union. Well, that's right, and and there's a lot to celebrate here, John. Uh, obviously, the president's not going to come out and apologize for for overwhelming job growth, but how does this administration position itself for what could be much more difficult times uh, a year from now, maybe sooner? Is it just staying independent from the Fed and saying, hey, look, we weren't the one hiking rates. Yeah, sure. I think that's part of it. And and look, we're exactly right. The president is going to take a victory lap on this. It would be probably some form of political malpractice if he didn't. I agree with your previous guest as well from American Action that we we should all be a little bit humble and a little bit um, recognizing that a lot of predictions have been really off. So if that's the landscape in which this administration is working, yeah, I, I think it's right to be cognizant that the Fed's actions may continue to have an impact on this. But the president's got some great details to dive into here, um, as as Democratic leaders do as well. It's not just the job numbers. There were some really interesting crosstabs in there in the leisure and hospitality industry that I think he could make a compelling case that the last four years of trying to rebuild after the pandemic have yielded some good dividends, even as we all know, they also yielded perhaps some inflationary pressure on the economy. So without knowing what's around the turn, I think he has to, and I think he will take credit. That's the first swing from our panel. They'll be back with more because so far it's been a balloon-free zone, but we're going to end that as the balloon makes its way across the continental United States. What a day. Are you kidding me? Rick Davis, John LeBombard next with the Chinese spy balloon on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. While we won't get into specifics in regards to the exact location, I can tell you that the balloon continues to move eastward 
and is currently over the center of the continental United States. Again, we currently assess that the balloon does not present a military or physical threat to people on the ground at this time. I am in favor of shooting it down. I, I understand the concern over debris, but that doesn't really pass the smell test. The Chinese side is gathering and verifying the facts. We hope that both sides will handle this matter in a cool-headed manner. Just keep it cool. A cool-headed manner is the idea from Beijing as they float a spy balloon across the country. I mean, you wouldn't believe it in a movie. This has got to be the open on Saturday Night Live, right? Because you know the balloon boy is going to come out of that thing, or at least Matt Miller told me that was the case. My God, what a day we've had with this. That's the attention, the focus of the nation is trained on what the heck is floating over, not even Montana any longer. Look, if you've been at work all day, I'm going to bring you up to date on this because it has been a doozy. They did hold a briefing at the Pentagon. The Brigadier General Pat Ryder, spokesman for the Pentagon, right here with the latest. Listen. We know that it's a surveillance balloon, uh, and I'm not going to be able to be more specific than that. Uh, we do know that the balloon has violated U.S. airspace and international law, uh, which is unacceptable. And so we've conveyed this directly to the PRC at multiple levels. Uh, and in terms of specific locations, uh, I'm not going to be able to go into specific locations again, other than to say it's moving eastward at this time. Moving eastward, he now says somewhere in the middle of the continental United States. The thing is, commercial cameras can see it. That's why it's been on TV all day. It's like the UFO hanging over New York, right, in the movie. Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, uh, held the gaggle on Air Force One with reporters earlier today. The latest here from the White House. The president was briefed on this on Tuesday. He was uh, he has been uh, continued to receive regular briefings and updates from the national security team. I just want to reiterate what the Pentagon said earlier today. My counterpart, uh, uh, we've detected and is tracking a high altitude surveillance balloon that is over the continental United States. Yes, yeah, 60,000 feet above the United States. Right. Surveillance balloon, spy balloon that the Chinese said was a civilian weather balloon or something that went off course. Uh, Mao Ning is spokesperson with the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs here speaking through a translator. We are gathering and verifying the facts. I would like to stress that before it becomes clear what happened, any deliberate speculation we're hyping up will not help handling the matter. Okay. But the Secretary of State's still not coming. And there are questions about whether this is a coincidence as... Tony Blinken was on his way to China this weekend. He held a news conference earlier today. Listen. I spoke this morning with director of the CCP Central Foreign Affairs Office, Wang Yi, to convey that in light of China's unacceptable action, I am postponing my planned travel this weekend to China. So here we are uh, with not a lot of idea exactly how this is going to end. Are they going to try to shoot it down at some point? They tried. They, they decided not to, of course, because they thought, you know, this thing would break up and fall on houses and people even though it was over montana maybe they can get it over the ocean maybe they can blow this thing off course i don't know tony capasio knows more than i do he was in the pentagon briefing earlier today bloomberg pentagon reporter uh tony it's great to have you back what the heck is this thing well i think by the weekend or maybe monday or tuesday it'll be off u.s airspace uh 
it'll be over the Atlantic Ocean by then. And then the speculation will begin, uh, should the Navy try to try to recover it if it falls in the ocean? But, you know, right yeah. now, they're monitoring it. They don't, as you say, they, they don't see a threat. And today, I thought he made a decent case. I didn't realize that the payload, the sensors on this thing, were heavy enough that that was a concern. If they, that fell, that could hurt somebody. It's not the balloon yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a useful metric. Well, so there might be, uh, as you know, an action plan here. To your point, maybe they can capture it and, and take a look at it. But what, what would happen if the tables were turned here? I mean, you, you, Pat Ryder made it clear this is a violation of airspace. There's, this is completely unacceptable. Our balloon have been shot down by now, right? If there's a balloon over China, yeah, uh, probably. I mean, where I think we're, our country is a little bit more, our military is a little bit more strained than that. Yeah. I mean, the Dow would have dropped a lot more than 1% today if this thing had been shot down. You know, that it would have been a panic oh God, about yeah. that we're going to war with China. So I thought the military did a good, responsible job in assessing not to do it. That would have been a major, major destabilizing event. Jesus, crazy. You've got a great sense of humor, Tony. You asked uh, the Pentagon spokesman if it was the man on the moon or if that was the actual balloon we were seeing in all these photographs. He didn't even want to confirm that. I mean, getting an answer uh, is pretty difficult at the moment. Uh, getting an on-camera, on-the-record answer. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to be funny. Yeah, I, I, you, I guess I, I was. Uh, it's a little more difficult, <laughs> but they're trying to be somewhat transparent. They're signaling that they feel that this is, while it's a maneuver, it's a maneuvering set, a maneuvering balloon under the control of the PRC. It's not like on its own course. It's not like on a GPS pre-programmed course. The yeah. course it's taking so suggests it's being controlled uh, overseas. Boy, okay. Well, obviously they're going to have to keep tabs on this. Oh yeah. Uh, is it going to Florida? Is that the where the track is pointing? You know, I thought I thought there would be a GPS track over Mar-a-Lago, but that's not the case. <laughs> well, you I, know, I'm just thinking. Ron DeSantis calls up the National Guard. He's going to handle this at some point by the time it gets down there. I don't. I don't think the National Guard of Florida has ASAT uh, weapons that can reach that high. It's 60,000 feet. Actually, that's a great point you make, Tony. We supposedly sent, not supposedly, the Pentagon says we sent an F-22 or a couple of them up there. Can they even fly that high? Were they circling this this, this balloon looking at it? I don't think they were circling, but uh, they could fly that high in short duration, yeah. I wow. mean, you also have, uh, we have drones that can go that high, too. And it's 11 miles up, 60,000 yeah. Then we have something called a global hawk that can get up there, too. But, uh, but rest assured, if they can see this on the ground through a telescope, right. the multi-billion dollar Pentagon has a way to track this thing. We've got really, eyes all you over know, yeah. And I think, you know, I'm thinking by Monday, Tuesday, this will be over, U- over the ocean, out of U.S. airspace, and you know, we'll see what the blowback's going to be. You recall, Joe, 2001, April 2001, yeah. an EP-3 U.S. reconnaissance plane was brought down by the Chinese, right. yep. and there was a standoff for uh, many, many days. Absolutely. We forget this because 9-11 subsumed it, but relations resumed after tensions abated, and I think that's going to be the case here. This is a lot different than taking down a U.S. spy plane in, over a Hanan Island, I think. You know, they're invading our airspace, but no, 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 nothing's been fired. So, Great reporting today, Tony. Glad to have you. Uh, Tony Capasio, our Pentagon reporter here at Bloomberg, straight off the briefing. That's the real stuff. That's as latest uh, as we get, and I suspect it'll be a working weekend for Tony. Uh, Craig Singleton with us now on the diplomatic side. As you heard, Tony Blinken's canceled the trip. Uh, 
And that's a pretty big deal. A senior China fellow at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Is this just an interruption here, Craig, or is this a major international event? Thanks, Joe. It's been a weird day. I think we'll all talk about how we survived yes. the loon gate. Um, I, I mean, I think that the administration was justified in uh, certainly canceling this trip, and it will be very hard-pressed, uh, I think, to reschedule it. Um, that is until China provides a more convincing and fulsome explanation regarding these latest espionage allegations. This is not a weather balloon. This is a long-range reconnaissance vehicle, and Secretary of State Blinken confirmed that today in his remarks. I would say that generally expectations were low um, that Blinken's trip was going to result in any major diplomatic deliverables. And at this point, a meaningful reset between the two superpowers appears all but off the table. All but off the table. Because of this? I mean, so then are are we led to believe then this is not a coincidence? They they sent this thing over in the days before a, a, a very important visit by our Secretary of State. I mean, there are those that argue that the White House should not let this one incident derail ongoing efforts to put a, a so-called floor in the relationship. But yeah. I think those commentators are sort of missing the point, right? This incident is not a one-off. It's broadly consistent with China's increasing belligerence over the last few months. And this latest crisis, I think, further calls into question the sincerity of China's professed desire to improve the relationship mm-hmm. at a time when Washington was more or less offering a diplomatic off-ramp. Uh, overall, like I said, I think the administration was justified in postponing the trip. And the onus yeah. is now on China to explain its actions and ultimately rein in its problematic, irresponsible behavior. And after that, the two sides can potentially sit down so long as uh, that eventual engagement is consistent with the principles of strict reciprocity. And, of mm-hmm. course, it should be in the U.S. national interest. Uh, it's just I think it's surreal for for all of us because it's still here. We're talking about this in real time. Now, Karine Jean-Pierre said on Air Force One, Craig, that the president was briefed about this on Tuesday. So he's known about it for several days. Uh, here we are learning about this. I guess it was last night, Friday morning for a lot of people. But they watched this come all the way down the coast of Canada. So the administration has been aware of this for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, you can go online and there are so-called Santa trackers for this thing. And you can see it buzz across Alaska. And I mean, you could draw inferences of how it's beelined directly towards our Minuteman uh, ICBMs in Montana and where it's sort of going from there. Um, But I do think that it's a little misguided to think that this issue is just going to blow over, uh, you know, pun intended. Um, the domestic uproar involving this provocation, I don't think is, un- is likely to subside anytime soon. There are a few issues that unite Democrats and Republicans more than countering China. Um, and whether this, and that, that's regardless of whether this thing is shot down tomorrow or simply yeah. drifts out of airspace. And that's because um, Congress will almost certainly hold hearings on this issue. It's going to extend the story's shelf life. Oh God, and yeah. I think people are going to be asking hearings. a lot of questions about, you know, what does this look like and how do we reasonably engage with Beijing when they continue to take these sort of provocative actions? Would we have taken a shot at this if we could have, Craig? And I ask you that knowing that the trip was still scheduled, they're thinking about this, you know, do we shoot it down or are they really just waiting for an opportunity for this to get over the water here and, and sort of capture it and take a look at what the heck was was on the balloon? I mean, I think that some of the concerns about 
uh, you know, where this thing falls and the velocity at which it falls and the payload, which is about the size of three. Uh, overall, the whole thing is about three school buses. I mean, those yeah, are not yeah. insignificant concerns, right? Certainly. Um, but there is potential value in attempting to recover uh, part of this payload and to exploit it and potentially to expose that this was not a civilian weather balloon, which is how the sort of the narrative that China is attempting to sort of promote here. It is very clearly a surveillance asset. Um, we assess that the U.S. government with very high confidence. And there could be some potential, I think, in recovering the balloon, at least um, reinforcing the story to allies and partners around the world. Look, this is what's happening. You can't dismiss anything. Um, you know, sort of be cognizant of your domain awareness and your territorial integrity and, mm-hmm. and call China out when they sort of engage in, in just really short-sighted behavior uh, for which they should sort of they should be sort of held to account. You mentioned something important, Craig, in that this isn't the first time it's happened. Uh, the Pentagon will not give us any information on where or when, but apparently it's been more than once. We don't know if it was over the continental U.S. or, or over a territory, uh, but they have uh, violated our airspace with these types of surveillance, uh, I don't know, balloons or aircraft or what he was referring to. We couldn't get details on it. So right. how unusual is this? How, how much of a problem is today in com- compared to the pattern that we've apparently seen? I mean, Chinese surveillance balloons have been sighted on numerous occasions over the last five years in different parts of the Pacific, including near sensitive U.S. military installations in Hawaii. Uh, So in today's era of sort of renewed great power competition, these sort of inflatables, uh, they're called high altitude inflatables, you know, they can serve as low cost platforms to collect intelligence, enhance existing networks. Some can even be used um, reportedly to detect hypersonic missiles. And just last year, um, uh, uh, the long range rocket brigades of the, the People's Liberation Army uh, launched a series of high-altitude balloons over Taiwan, ostensibly for intelligence collection purposes. And so there is a recent precedent for this type of Chinese collection activity, You know, however rudimentary it may appear at first blush. Craig Singleton, great to have you. Senior China Fellow at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, with a lot of information there, uh, actually, to consider for our panel. Rick Davis is back, and John LeBombard. You, you, you wouldn't think we'd be talking about this, uh, guys, but we are. And John, is the administration playing it right so far? Because the first question everyone is asking is, uh, why don't we shoot this thing down? Listen to Congressman Mike Gallagher, just as an example here uh, from earlier today. This is a Republican from Wisconsin who chairs the newly formed House Select Committee on China. I am in favor of shooting it down. I, I understand the concern over debris, but that doesn't really pass the smell test with me. I mean, they track this thing. For a long time, allegedly from the Aleutian Islands, all the way over sparsely populated parts of Canada, over sparsely populated Montana. I think we had plenty of options. John, were we simply trying to avoid an international catastrophe? Yeah, this is just wild. I mean, a weather balloon, everyone's favorite explanation for an aerial phenomenon. Um, No, I have to say, look, I have deep respect for Congressman Gallagher, and he makes some good points, but... I really trust the administration on this and and your previous guest, Craig, who I just thought he made some incredible points about, look, maybe we can look backwards and we'll figure out more details in the days ahead about how long and, and with what detail the administration was tracking this. But it's now over American soil. And if it's got a payload that weighs something approaching three school buses, I'm sorry, but if I'm the president and his team and he's got some good advisors giving him this input here. 
about the cost benefit analysis. I don't right, think we right. want something that weighs three school buses to be landing on any American community. So, and I, and I like this idea that Craig floated that there may be some value here to try to recover some part of this payload. At the end of the day, Congressman Gallagher is part of the select committee that demonstrates one thing as it relates to Congress, which is that standing up to China and their aggression and their belligerence is a bipartisan value. Um, and I think this ultimately will probably give the administration an upper hand in these negotiations. Well, okay, that's a that's nice to hear uh, because, Rick, the, the more time that goes by, the more ridiculous the administration could look to a lot of people. In fact, we're, I mean, you could just go on Twitter and read about this. Just shoot the damn thing down, they say. Yeah, pop it. I mean, it's a balloon. Uh, <laughs> you know, look, I, I mean, all these are, you know, yeah, very cautious, you know, diplomatically generated, um, you know, but when you really think about it, I mean, they're violating our airspace. They are invading our it's country still with their here. intelligence <laughs> gathering devices. And there's absolutely no reason that that should be allowed to freely fly over the continental United States. Well, okay. Um, that said, uh, Rick, you don't want to hurt anybody. And maybe there is a plan. If General Milley briefed the president on this and said, look, let's get this over the ocean or something. We want to capture it and actually retain this hardware to see what what in the world they were floating over the country. They, they'll end up looking pretty smart, won't they? Well, I mean, you got just as good a chance of capturing it, you know, over the over the land and you do the sea. You know, you you, you let something free fall from 60,000 feet yeah. and it's not just going to plunge into the ocean unharmed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's right. going to be obliterated just the same way as if it hit a mountain. So mm-hmm. um, with all due respect, we probably know everything there is to know about what's on that balloon right now, which is why it hasn't been shot down, because if it had been anything you know, of real value to us. Um, we wouldn't have let it just scan the horizon and go look over our nuclear sites and report back to Beijing what they're seeing. Uh, I would also say the other thing that is notable about this, there's been a lot of studies around this, and, and the Defense Department has a lot of history around the concerns of having these kinds of balloons carrying, you know, weapons of mass destruction, nuclear weapons over uh, the United States and exploding and causing massive EMP impact. In other words, one balloon at that level, two miles up, five miles up, could actually knock out most of the grid in the United States. So why do we want them to be able to experiment around with the collection of data over our country as to how that kind of thing would work? So I'm not being an alarmist. These are reports that have been written year in and year out in the Defense Department. It is a concern by war planners that this is a kind of tactic that the Chinese would use in order to turn out the lights in, in the United States. And, and, and I just think we should have zero tolerance for this. And I would have actually had Blinken go to China. It's just the other China, Taiwan. I mean, huh. why not just head to Beijing and take a right turn, you know, show up in Taiwan and say, you know what? This is what you get when you mess with us at, in, in our own borders. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and I just, why not? I mean, you know, they're the obviously reaction. not being honest with us. Let's, let's call their cards. Well, so what do you think, John, in, in terms of the example that's being set here? I mean, does this invite... Uh, other other potentially bad actors to be floating stuff over the country here because they know we're not going to do anything. You don't want to hurt anyone on the ground. Sure. And I mean, I mean, Rick raises some real valid concerns there. I, I think about the statement that was released today from my old boss and the home state senator from where this thing was floating for a while, Senator John Tester. And yeah, right. I think he made a great point. He said, look, at the end of the day, I want answers about all of this. I want to know when this came in, when we knew why it was allowed to enter our airspace, if it was. 
I am confident that those are questions that members of Congress in both parties, including the select committee, are going to be asking. Um, at the end of the day, I, I just have to believe that the president is using the best cost-benefit analysis that his advisors are giving him. But I will say I'm in complete agreement with Rick. And I think actually the last time we were on this program, we were talking about this idea of the former Speaker of the House perhaps visiting um, right. Taiwan. And I think, <laughs> I, I mean, that would have been quite a showcase of American strength and commitment that I, too, would be fully behind. But wow. at the end of the day, I think this is going to be something that we figure out the answers to. And the more interesting piece of it is going to be what the timing of this, again, as Craig Singleton mentioned, being so close to the secretary's planned visit. There's something really interesting about the timing here that has my like Tom Clancy alarm bells going off. So I'll I'll be really interested to see that. Did they want to force Anthony Blinken to make a tough call here, Rick? To your point, he could still have gone to Beijing and wagged his finger at President Xi. Oh, let me tell you, I, I have no doubt that Xi and his advisors were hanging around you know, the the palace in Beijing saying, you know, hey, we got this plan to run this balloon all the way across the United States about the same time Blinken's coming over here. Yeah, let's make it happen so that we can embarrass him while he's here, you know, and wow. he'll turn red face and yell yeah. at us. Ha ha ha. I mean, like, do we really we do we really believe that this wasn't calculated, that they sit there and think about, you know, the fact that they're going to penetrate the United States security? Um, uh, you know, we have this thing called stratcom that's supposed to protect our borders and not allow these kinds of things to come on. I mean, they're violating that. This is so how come we let it in to begin with? I mean, we're talking about shooting this down over Montana or Florida. Like how come we didn't get it before it violated our airspace? That would be protocol, wouldn't it? Look, I I cannot believe that this thing entered the United States airspace. I, uh, you know, if it it was over the Aleutians, I mean, there's nothing out there. I mean, you know, I I used to live in the Puget Sound. You could knock it over in most of the state of of Washington (laughs) and nobody would even know it happened. I mean, you know, the reality is there are a lot of questions, I think, about what the China motivations were and what they're really trying to gather. And this is not an accident. And why did they do it at the same time Blinken was coming over? But I think we got a lot of questions, too, about, like, why in the world was this allowed to happen to begin with? And did we really conduct the kind of surveillance on the surveillance balloon that, that needed to have happened? And uh, and with all the technology and knowledge that we have, uh, are, are we really showing a vulnerability here by the fact that we're just, you know, letting this thing enter the United States airspace and float around for a week? I am awfully struck, like I keep saying, that we're watching this in real time because cameras are trained on this. You know, you walk by a wall of TVs. And you just see this white moon looking thing uh, as if we're in a sci fi movie or, or, or something. And, and Tony asked about this when he was in the Pentagon briefing with with the general Pat Ryder. And, you know, Tony's a, he's like he's a, he's a funny guy. He's got a sense of humor. But it's kind of what we were all asking. Listen, can you confirm the photos that are out there that this is not the man in the moon and that is the actual <laughs> balloon? Uh, thanks, Tony. So uh, certainly aware of photos being posted online. Uh, I- I'm not going to get into the business of confirming uh, whether or not those are, you know, where those photos come from. Again, I can tell you that the U.S. government, NORAD, is monitoring this closely. So technically it could be the man on the moon, I guess, John. Uh, but that does <laughs> kind of, it, it, it makes it difficult for the Pentagon to control the narrative. They don't want to be giving, as he said, hour-to-hour updates on this. But we're watching this with our own uh, commercial cameras, <laughs> and it's going to be on TV until this thing is over. Uh, that it's brings totally inherent surreal. political risk, doesn't it? 
It's totally surreal. Yeah. And it's one of these moments where you can feel, I can feel the visceral discomfort on the part of administration <laughs> spokespeople who, you know, don't pay any attention to what's on your television and, and on yeah. Twitter right now. So um, it's a tough position there. And, and again, you know, Rick raises a very valid point, which is we need answers about why and whether this was actually permitted to enter U.S. airspace. It does, frankly, showcase some kind of vulnerability until we know otherwise. So these are questions the administration has to answer. But now, of course, because we're in the situation we're in where this is above U.S. soil for the moment, our spokespeople, I think, are kind of handcuffed. Um, and we're probably not going to get these answers right away it's probably going to take not a matter of days, but weeks or months before we know exactly what happened. And more broadly speaking, look, of course, this is an issue the president is going to have to address, even if everything winds up being told in a way that it makes more sense than it does to us now. There's never an issue as important to the job of the president and, frankly, to American voters heading into a presidential election than the safety and security of our country and of our community. So so that's a question that's going to have to certainly be answered. So so that brings the hearings um, one way or the other here. Uh, Rick, are they going to be investigating why the Biden administration reacted a certain way or why China sent this over here? You know, I would say China's doing a great job of unifying Congress against How themselves. True. I mean, if there was not another opportunity to, to create a bipartisan coalition, uh, to uh, to 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 get together in Congress. This is a, this is just a great example of China unifying the United States around a common goal, a common enemy, and they're making themselves that. We're not doing anything to cause these things to happen, and so uh, I think this is actually going to be a unifying uh, per, you know uh, action uh, in Congress, and it's going to take that Gallagher committee and just put it on steroids. Yeah, I mean, right. these guys are going to be watched by everybody oh, in the man. country now. And I think they're going to agree more than they disagree. Uh, but look, I mean, you know, we, we, we definitely are going to want to know why and how this happened. Look, this is the new intelligence, right? It's all open source. It's people with cameras all yes. over the world. We know more about what's going on in Ukraine right now because of just open source. And this uh -huh. is a classic example. I think it's kind of the galvanizing OJ moment of the 21st century. Oh I mean, everybody watched OJ in that white Bronco driving around. You know, when uh -huh. are the police going to get him? And now it now just got happens a white to be balloon. a Chinese weather balloon. Right? This is so great. As only Rick Davis uh, could put it, uh, John... Boy, I don't know what's going to come uh, about over the course of this weekend. Uh, but when you think about oversight here, it, I don't know. It It, it is going to make just a, a new level of drama on that committee for sure. Is Kevin McCarthy planning the Codell to Taiwan right now? Oh, I, I guarantee somebody in his organization is talking about it. And, you know, look. Maybe not an OJ moment, but this is one of the more memeable things that has happened um, as we enter this new election season. I think Rick's exactly right. I think the oversight piece of this and the solidarity and yeah. unity between the parties is going to be evident. There's a dynamic here where, you know, I come from the world of the Senate as well, and all of our Democrats who are yeah. up for re-election in the Senate almost without exception, are folks who have been just as hawkish in terms of standing up to Chinese don't aggression. don't expect that to stop anytime soon. John and Rick with final thoughts. This is Bloomberg.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Sound On is brought to you by Innovation Refunds. It's your daily reminder from Innovation Refunds. See if your business is eligible for employee retention credit assistance with the team at Innovation Refunds. They help make the process easier, make it less stressful so you can focus on your business. Learn more at GetRefunds.com. So the big state of the union, the Super Bowl of politics next Tuesday night. And we've talked a little bit. We're going to be talking about it as well on Monday and Tuesday leading up to the speech and our special coverage. But we have to focus on the Republican response. This is a huge deal, of course, for Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the, the daughter of Mike Huckabee. She's now got her dad's old job as the governor of Arkansas, right? And many will remember her as the press secretary at the White House in the Trump administration. Here, this will bring you back. The president talks about the Fed. Is he just venting at this point, or is he genuinely worried that if there is a rate hike tomorrow, that the economy will slow down? Uh, the president is stating his opinion, uh, which he is perfectly within his right to do so. I think that is one of the reasons people like him is because he does that and he does it regularly. That will be the response to Joe Biden on Tuesday night, the arguably the most high profile opportunity of her career here. She's going mainstream. And it's a job that is, of course, fraught with risk, as many have learned from Marco Rubio to Joe Kennedy. As we seek some thoughts from the panel here, Rick Davis and John LaBombard with us on Sound On. What do you think of the choice, Rick, first of all? You could have gone anywhere in the country on this one. Is it a good choice? Yeah, I think uh, picking a, uh, a woman governor uh, was a, a good choice. And within the group that uh, are represented by uh, 
women in the GOP. Um, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is sort of a comer, right? She's just gotten reelected. She's a big name, uh, big family presence, uh, important state for uh, presidential cycle. So yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, obviously articulate. She, she made a living uh, speaking. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, I think there'd be an expectation that she'd give a good speech. I'd, I'd have to give a shout out too to another really interesting idea uh, to do a Hispanic response in Spanish. Uh, and uh, one of my Arizona favorite uh, congressmen, Juan Siscomoni, has is, is been picked to do that. And mm-hmm. he's a freshman, newly into Congress. Uh, and I think it's smart on the part of the GOP to offer up a Spanish alternative uh, while they're out there trying to recruit Hispanic votes. John, Sarah Huckabee Sanders will likely forever be associated with Donald Trump. She spent two years defending him at the podium and had a very difficult relationship uh, with the press at the time. Interesting that the party chose to go in that direction. They could have chosen a woman who was not so closely associated with the Trump brand. Sure, but, you know, I I tend to think, look, I I look at this from the outside looking in, and um, obviously I'm probably not going to agree with everything that the governor says in her response as a Democrat myself, but... This is someone who there's there can't be anything more anxiety producing than facing down the White House press corps, especially during Donald Trump's presidency. So she has tried and tested in a way of talking publicly. I think she cuts a good profile. And I frankly think, you know, she is somebody who was somehow successful in threading that needle of working for the Trump administration, Uh but not necessarily leaving with the kind of baggage that some of his other enablers did. I think it's probably a good choice, even if I won't agree with everything she says. And I will once again associate myself completely with Rick's uh, additional point. You know, Latino voters are a bigger battleground than a lot of people in my party assume they are. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that was a smart choice on the part of the GOP as well. But I also tend to think that President Biden has a lot to tout in this speech. So I'm really looking forward to it. There you have it. Two thumbs up. How about it? Rick Davis, John LaBombard. Thank you both. Two thumbs up for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You'll hear her response, of course, as part of our special coverage on Tuesday night. The speech... The standing ovations, the response will have it all. David Weston's coming down to D.C. I'll be up on Capitol Hill. Rick will be here, Jeannie Shanzano as well, and I hope you'll join us as we float our way into the weekend on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.